got a new series, Nine Vital Signs, and uh, we'll begin in this afternoon. So if you're here for the first time, you're just about at the right time to begin a journey through a, a series of, of talks that we're going to look at a particular uh, passage, but you might want to prepare yourself. Um, back in, in fact, I was just checking it, it was back in August last year, uh, we did a series, went through a series called Seven Deadly Sins. Seven Deadly Sins, they're online, they're available to download. You might want to go and download them and listen to them if you want to. Uh, in, in a sense, what we're looking at this afternoon and for the next few weeks is uh, the contrast to what we were looking at back in August. At root, uh, at root it's about how we live. That's a really great question for us to consider, isn't it? How do we live as people? What drives you? What, what is your focus? What motivates you? What, what are you as a person that causes you to get up in the morning, maybe in the afternoon, depending on who you are? I guess there'll be some who might not get up in the morning. Some justifiably might not get up in the morning. Some might not just might not get up in the morning. What motivates you to get up in the morning or not get up in the morning? What, what, what are you doing in terms of life? I, I guess really when we start to think about that and analyse that, we start to realise that, that a lot of what we think about, a lot of what we believe, a lot of what we value, a lot of what we think of as important... The priorities that we have in life, they, they motivate the way we live, don't they? They shape the way we live. That They create priorities in our mind. They create ways of being. How should we live? It is a really key question. What is driving that in your life? Or expressing it another way. What are you going to do with the 70 or 80 years that you've got. That, that brings it maybe into focus. What are you going to do with the 80 years that you've got? But we live in a society which has a perspective on those 80 years which works something like this. I've only got 80 or 70 or however many it might be Therefore, I'm going to live to fill it. I'm going to live the best I possibly can. Because after all, this is all life I've got. Our philosophy is that, that what we are, or what we make out of life, what we kind of construct and experience and enjoy and gather together, so that we can look back over life and we can say, well, I did that and I did that and I did that and wasn't that a great time and, you know, my life is now, rather than lived out in a photo album, it's lived out on Facebook. I can go back through my timeline and I can see what life was all about. And so the essence of who I am is defined by what I have done. That's... There's a really, really deep kind of philosophical perspective on life 
behind that. And a whole load of ink has been spilt about the definitions of how we live. But worked out in real day-to-day life, I guess many of us are in exactly that situation. The essence of who I am is the collection of experiences that are expressed in my timeline on Facebook. And some of us might not have Facebook. Some of us might not have gone to the timeline version of Facebook. Some of us might not have clicked on that button that says go to timeline because we're in that whole group of people who want to militate against Facebook because we hate the timeline. But hey, come on, that's how we live, isn't it? We live defining our life by what we have done. We do that, I guess, no matter what our perspective. And Paul is writing to a group of people who have come to a shift in their perspective on life. Something has happened in their lives. They've become believers in Jesus Christ. They've become Christians. He's writing to a church in a place called Galatia, which is now sort of stretches from the Mediterranean. The area stretches through what is now modern Turkey. So he's writing to a group of people who have become believers in Jesus. Uh, And so there has been a shift that has taken place. Now, that means, therefore, that straight away we can draw some lines between that experience and our experience today in this room this afternoon. Because all of us will fall into one of those categories. We will fall into the category either of people who are living life and are seeking to work out what to make of it and what to do with it without a commitment to Jesus Christ. Some of us will be in that category this afternoon. Or we will be this afternoon in this room today in the category which has said, I have come to a commitment in faith to Jesus Christ. Therefore, there has been a step change that has taken place. And therefore, I need to be rethinking, working out how I now live my life. What am I going to do with life? What, am I, what is my focus? What is my commitment? What are the drives? What are the ambitions? How do I live my life? If we can just get the uh, reading up on the screen, just one quick comment. I'm going to read, in fact, Noel read as well. I'm going to be reading from something which repeatedly uses the term flesh rather than sinful nature. I think that's really helpful, flesh. Uh, This is the new version of the NIV. This is the new version of the NIV as well. And I really can't quite work out why it's different. This must be the American version or something from Bible Gateway. But it seems as though there's not quite a consistency. But we're going to be using the word flesh where it says on the screen again and again the sinful nature. So just work with me as we see what the difference is. What Paul is saying is you need to understand that there has been a shift that has taken place which has given you freedom. 
Now, that might sound strange to our culture because our culture thinks in terms of the Christian faith as being something constraining. It thinks in terms of coming to faith in Jesus Christ as suddenly you are now constrained. I don't have a freedom. The the kind of freedom that I once had, I no longer have. We're going to work through that this afternoon. We'll see that actually we now have a freedom. But what he says is don't allow that freedom that you have to indulge the flesh. So you've come to freedom. Don't allow that freedom to indulge the flesh. Now we're coming on to verse 19 where it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that little section there, for those of you who were around last August, it sounds like a bit of an expanded perspective on the seven deadly sins, doesn't it? But the important thing that we've got here is that what Paul is saying is he's saying the works, or the, it says up there, I think, does it say acts? I think works is a really helpful word. The works. The works. What does that mean? There is an evidence. There is an evidence of what is fleshly or by nature us, fleshly. He says it comes out like this. What does that word works mean? I think it's really helpful, or acts. Think about it like this. Let's, think, let's use the word works. Um, some of you might have at home uh, the works of William Shakespeare on the bookcase. Some of you might have that. You might have the posh version in the leather-bound old version of the works of William Shakespeare. It probably isn't like it was first printed. It probably is printed with the equivalent of our English. Although we will consider it old English, it's not old, old English, if that makes sense, because the spellings uh, use, is it F instead of S or whatever it is, you know what I mean. mean. There's a difference. There's old, old English, then there's old English. And we've got old English in our leather-bound copy. I haven't got the works of William Shakespeare on my bookcase. I've got it on my Kindle. It's different, isn't it? It's in modern English, or old modern English, but it's on my Kindle. But it's still his works. In other words, his works were printed hundreds of years ago, His words might have been printed 30 years ago and in a leather-bound copy on my bookshelf, or his works might be contained in electronic files, but the output, the, the signature, the determined output of William Shakespeare is available to me today in all of those different versions. It's it's his decided output. You know, way back then, he's got a quill, 
He's written it down on paper or parchment or whatever it was in ink by candlelight. It has been translated and it has been printed and it is his works that I now have. It is his determined output. Let's think about that in terms of the works of the flesh. For a start, they might look slightly different. Slightly different. You know, when we think about uh, drunkenness in first century minds, we might not think about a pint of Stella. Well, actually, we won't think about a pint of Stella in first century Roman Empire. We'll think about drunkenness in a slightly different way. We think about a night out on the lash differently today to the way we did in the first century. But if we think about it at a deeper level, we realize that what Paul is saying is that the flesh, our nature, has a determined expression of itself. Just like the works of William Shakespeare. What we are determinedly comes out. And it comes out in all of these different ways. Now, the reality is that the expression of that is very, very, very rarely found in all of its expressions in one person. (laughs) The reality is that most of us are susceptible to different aspects of expressing the reality of ourself so that our works in acts are clearly seen in a particular way. So your issue might be different to my issue. More so. Your issue might be more in one particular area. My issue might be more in another particular area. But both of those expressions, both of those ways of being, are my and your, mine and yours determined way of saying... This is my works. This is who I am. I am making a subconscious, conscious decision to express myself in that way. Does that make sense? hope it does. We, we probably do not express ourselves in the whole breadth of this acts of the sinful nature or acts of the flesh. In all of the combinations, but rather we have our own tendency in particular areas. But the key is this, that we do express ourselves in a particular way. It is purposeful. That's the works or the acts that Paul says. Now when we look at that, we realize that's who I am. That, that Actually who I am is seen in what I do. Very like what we said right at the beginning, isn't it? We say, who, I am, who am I? I define myself by, by my job, what I do. I define myself by what I do in my leisure time. I define myself by what I do in my relationships, whether I'm married, single, getting married, whatever it might be, no longer married, whatever it is. I define myself by, by that, what I do. And Paul says, now, change it. Because... What you are, who you are, 
is defined by your works and your determined expressions of who you are. And it's this heart problem that Jesus talks about. It's who I am. I think that just puts into perspective, that list puts into perspective the wonder of what we've just sung. No, sorry. It's on my sheet. The wonder of what we will sing. Last song. Who am I? That the God of all the world should be so inclined in his thoughts and in his minds and in his affections to turn himself and orientate himself towards me. Because the reality is that when we understand that we define ourselves according to that expression that Paul says in verses 19 to 21, we realize actually we don't actually like each other. We wouldn't want to orientate ourselves towards each other. And we don't even like what we see in the mirror. Isn't it remarkable? And yet the God who created us has not turned away from us, but has orientated himself towards us. In spite of that. So we would say, well, that's... You know, we, we hold on to that. We say, well, that's the expressions of the flesh. Here's the touch point in the whole of Galatians, I think. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, uses flesh again. Or... Firstly, because when Paul is writing to these first readers, he's writing and he's saying, do you know your problem? You are captured, you are captivated, you are held by a way of behaving and expressing and living which is totally committed and focused that what you do in your expressions of religion defines who you are. That's the problem for the Galatian church. What's happened is that they have believed in Jesus, they have received the Spirit of God into their lives, and now they've started stepping backwards, and they've started living according to religious traditions previously imposed upon them. Chapter 1 to 4 is all about that problem. They've started not living according to chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Their big issue is that they've started living totally committed to religious expressions which say, I am pious, in this case circumcision. I am falling back on what Paul describes as activities of religion which are works of the flesh. That is remarkable, I think. Because what he says in the early part of this book is that we can live according to the flesh by religious expression. Or we can get free and the danger is that we then live according to the flesh by some sort of libertine expression where no longer my constraints of morality are held in check. In other words, for the first congregation, 
the, the, a morally upright community, which is what the Roman Empire, generally speaking, those people who had had the Jewish message, sort of the first hearers of this, the people who had had that religious background, slippage to them looks like verse 19 to 21, the acts of the flesh, or that whole list. Slippage looks like that to them. I would suggest that slippage for us today, in our minds, slippage for us looks like falling into the constraints of tradition. Christian rules. A checklist of I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And all of us say, all of our being inside says, I don't want to slip into that. But the, the issue is that we're coming from a completely different perspective. We're coming from a perspective where all of the kind of thing that we see in chapter, in verse 19 to 21, is for many people normal life. In fact, we're in a generation where what we're describing as unacceptable is for many people perfectly acceptable. That's the generation that we are living in. It's a remarkable shift that has taken place. I've mentioned it before. Some of you will be considered morally bankrupt because you have not lived together before getting married in our generation. That is a remarkable thing that's taken place in the past 30 years. You, would be con you will be considered by your peers morally bankrupt. In other words, you are, you are just, it is just totally unacceptable to marry somebody without having lived with them in the first place because you don't know whether you right for each other after all, do you? You see, do you see the shift that's taken place? 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it would have been considered morally bankrupt to have lived with somebody before getting married. And what Paul is saying is that we, we are in a dilemma there because the first four chapters are talking about don't fall into certain constraints of religious practice. And then this verse says, don't fall into constraints or, or freedoms which allow you to do what you want. So what do we do? What he actually says is walk or live by the Spirit. That's our starting point for this series. It is so radical, it is so massive, that it's not living according to a set of rules in that direction, nor is it living with absolute freedom in that direction. It is something so big, so different, that Jesus expressed it in this way. He said that, the way that your life is going to be changed is so big that it's like being born again. It's being born again. Living by the Spirit is that big a change. 
Because all of our tendency says, I'm a Christian, therefore I've got to do this, 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 this and this, so that I'm going to be acceptable to God. Because I'm no longer going to live according to verses 19 to 21. That's not living by the Spirit. It's not living by the Spirit. That is as destructive as 19 to 21. It is as destructive. It is so radical that Jesus says that it's like being born again. He goes on to say this. Truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. What does it look like when flesh gives birth to flesh? It looks either like we live with a complete freedom that means that we can do absolutely what we want and we live in a self-serving way which if you look at it, we are, according to that list, we are sexually selfish, we are socially selfish, we are uh, spiritually selfish, we are self-indulgent. That's one way of living according to the flesh. The other way of living according to the flesh is that we live absolutely committed and determined that we're going to live this in a way which means that God has got to accept us. Both of those are living by the flesh. Paul says that effectively in the early part of this book where he says, if you live your life where you believe that circumcision, which is the tradition that had gone before, is a way of being accepted by God, if you're going to fall back on all of those traditions of practice... You're living by the flesh. But live by the Spirit is a radical change. It's massive change. But I think it is incredibly important that he uses a different descriptor for the expressions of living by the Spirit to the expressions of living according to the flesh. He says that the living according to the flesh is the acts or the works. The acts or the works, in other words, my purposeful expression of what I am. And he uses the description fruit for living according to the Spirit. Fruit. Does an apple tree just Decide one morning, spring, I'm going to decide today to grow apples. It's going to grow, it's my decision. It grows apples because that's what it is. It's an apple tree. Cherry tree grows cherries because it is a cherry tree. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, when we look at it, we go a little bit further on. Verse 22, it says this. The fruit, the outcome, the outcome 
of a spirit-impacted, relationship-changed life in Jesus is that these things happen. These things happen. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When you are born again, these things happen. They are the vital signs of a new life. That is incredibly important. In a past, genera- past generations, um, there has been, I guess, a reliance on certain patterns of behavior that say, I am a Christian because of this. I don't go to the cinema, I don't drink alcohol, the length of my skirt or the length of my hair, depending on whether you're male or female, is the appropriate length, which determines that that is, that makes me a Christian. Now some of you might be thinking that this is really bizarre, the idea that some of those things might, that's, you've not heard of that kind of thing, but I know that you are in danger of walking away from this and thinking, I know I'm a Christian, therefore now my, I am ab- my expression of how I am a Christian is how many times I've re- read my Bible in a week, is how many times I've been to church, is how many times I've done X, Y, Z. That's the marks. The marks that say that I am. And this says completely different. It says when we are changed, when we are impacted by the Spirit of God, fruit happens. Just happens. That is so different. That means that as we take this journey of looking at the impact of relationship with God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit and a Spirit-changed life, I am... If I say, therefore, do this, 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 and this, there is every danger that you could walk away and say, there's my acts. So that if I go away and do this, 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 and this, I know that I'm a Christian. But what about if I say, the reality of change in Jesus is this profound, That when you come into relationship with him, when you spend time with him, and we can work out over these next weeks what that looks like to spend time with him, you will be changed. There will be aspects of expressions of love and joy and peace, self-control, which you will find are beginning to happen in you. There will be fruit that is ripening, that is becoming evident. We've got it right now and on the trees, and we've got blossom just about forming on trees or just falling off. And, and if you go up to the tree and you see the blossom that's just fallen off, you see the tiniest little apple. It's there, it's happening. That's what happens when we come into relationship with God. We start to walk a life 
which is expressing itself in a different way. Now, as we leave this afternoon, what does that mean for each one of us? If we are, if we're listening to this and thinking, well, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know a relationship with God like that. Then what I would want to encourage you is to come to terms with is that becoming a Christian is not about making a step change in your decision on the things that you are going to do in life so that you do this instead of this. It's not that. That, that, It's empty if that's what you think coming to faith in Jesus Christ is. Rather what it is is coming into a relationship with the God who made you, who you do not deserve to be in relationship with, but rather because of his goodness and his mercy, through his son sacrificing himself for you, you can come into relationship with him in such a way that his presence dwells personally within us. So that we become those who are walking in relationship with him day by day and therefore little by little are being changed. That is massive, isn't it? That is so different than saying, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to do that. It's saying, I'm going to be a different person, so different by the power of God that Jesus described it, that I have been born again. It's not the creation of rules. It's the creation of relationship. A relationship which is personally impacting and changing and shaping us. If we have walked journey of the Christian faith for many years we know well enough that we have a tendency to fall back into the pattern that says it's about what I do we know that we've got that if we've walked this any reasonable length of time we know that our tendency is that we can fall back into what I do And we have lost sight of the relationship. Relationship in Christ. Relationship with the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is shaping me day by day. Which is is subduing me and giving me hope. Redirecting me. Causing me to think and to see things and to perceive things in a radically different way. That is relationship with God by the power of the Spirit which causes change because my being is renewed or made new. A new creation has been formed. A new person. So it's a bit like this as we close, as we take this journey. The church, right the way down through the centuries, I think has 
strayed off a pathway consistently. It's bounced backwards and forwards. If you imagine you're walking a pathway. You used to live on the Wirral. And uh, between um, North Wales and the Wirral is the River Dee, the Dee Estuary. I don't think you can do it now, but when I was young, you used to be able to walk at low tide from the Wirral to the Dee. There was a particular pathway. there There were guides that knew the pathways that you could take that would get you from the Wirral to the River Dee, uh, over to North Wales, safely. As you took that pathway, on one side there was literally the dangers of quicksand, sink you down, grab a hold of you and sink you down. At times on the other side of the pathway, there was briar and gorse and all the rest of it. The pathway was the safe place And if we stray off the pathway, we fall either into the quicksand of rules of expressions of faith which are not consistent with the Bible. Ways of being which says that if I I do this, that and the other, then God knows I'm a Christian. And we end up in a quicksand that sucks us down and drowns us. I don't think that that is much of our problem today. It's a problem maybe for the past. I, but I can see that we can easily fall into expressions that can be unhelpful. I think our problem today is that we can fall the other way. We can fall into the gorse of freedom and liberty that the Bible says we don't have. We can say that I'm free to do X, Y, Z. I'm free because after all I'm free in Christ, aren't I? That's what Paul is warning these Galatians about. And he's saying, look, if you don't get this straightened out in your minds, you're in danger of falling off the pathway either one way or the other way. You're in danger of falling into religious activity or you're in danger of falling into freedom that you do not have. You start behaving in a way which is unacceptable and inappropriate. And the only way to live is not in your strength to resist either of those, because you can't. It's by committing yourself and subduing yourself and humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit working in my life, keep me on this pathway. Because either side is dangerous. After all, we read a little bit earlier that it says that those who live in a particular way will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if your being is driven by a definition of freedom that says that's okay, it seems to me as if the Bible is saying you haven't got it. The reality of what faith is in Jesus is that it's going to shake up your life and change the way you've got to live. But it doesn't mean that it swings so far that you start living in a completely different way that says that, therefore, I've got to keep all these Christian rules that have nothing to do with what the Bible actually says. The Spirit of God, keep us on the pathway we pray. 